Now, I'm just going to go right into it because I have a lot I want to cover today. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, and, and many of you might know this verse, we're talking about intimacy with God. And honestly, the person in Scripture who I think exemplifies this value, I don't want to say the best, but probably top three, <laughs> is King David. He was like, he knew, he knew God in such a deep way and what I love is, is how God thinks of him. This verse is from Acts 13.22, talking about King David. Now, I want you to think of this. David, this is God's assessment of David, even after David has been passed away for a thousand years plus. And if any of you know about David and the life of David, that's pretty phenomenal. And it really shows God's heart of mercy, because David was not perfect by any means, uh, and we'll talk about that later. I mean, he, he committed murder, uh, adultery, a lot of things that he, he did. We would write people off in, in, in his church, and you can never minister again. But that, this, So why I'm saying that is to, to uh, get us to appreciate this is still what God, this is still God's assessment of David. Okay, this is in Acts 13.22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. Isn't that awesome? I mean, how many of you would want that to be God's assessment of your life? Yeah, come on. And that says a lot. David had a heart after God. And he's going to be forever known as a man after God's own heart. So, so the question I want to ask and, and hopefully answer, at least partially today, is what was it? What characteristics did David have that made him a man after God's own heart? Because if we can examine David, the man who God thinks of in this way, the man of intimacy, then we could apply those principles in our own lives. So that's what I want to talk about today, looking at intimacy with God Lessons from the life of David. Now, I'm going to just uh, uh, if, if refresh our memories, if, if you haven't read David's life lately, by giving you some key points from the narrative of David's life, from, from 1 Samuel. Um, just so, and if you don't know this, just so we're all on the same page, okay? So this is just, if you don't know, King Saul was the first king of Israel, then he rebelled by disobeying God. God took him out, and then he put David as the king of Israel. And so this is just, I wanted to show you, this is the end of Samuel, or uh, Saul's reign as king, uh, in God's eyes anyway. He reigned for 14 years after this, but anyway. So this is 1 Samuel 15, 27. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one who's better than you. He's talking about David here. Now, for those of you who don't know, Saul disobeyed God majorly twice. In this instance, God told him to kill all the Amalekites, and he, he did mostly, but he kept all the best cattle and sheep, and he didn't kill the king, and so he disobeyed the order, okay? So fast forward, God, it says God regretted making him king, and, and Samuel... Samuel, the prophet, was also mourning because he's the one who anointed Saul, and he was sad that this didn't work out and that Saul ended in rebellion. So he's mourning, and this is 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? 
Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Okay, now I'm fast-forwarding a couple verses. Now the Saul, uh, Samuel rather goes to the house of Jesse, okay? And he doesn't know who's going to be king yet. So he, he goes there, and this is kind of funny. He sees the eldest son, Eliab, and he thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Like he sees this guy, he's tall, he's muscular, good looking. He's like, this has got to be the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is like one of the key verses, I think, in the whole Bible. I mean, if you look at even the New Testament, it's all about the heart. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it a matter of the heart, because that's what God assesses. He looks right through all of you know, the facades and everything we put on, and he says, you have a right heart. And that's why God chooses sometimes people we wouldn't choose in the natural. And that's, that's what even Samuel the prophet fell into that trap. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. But what happened is every single one of Jesse's sons went in front of him. And the Lord's like, no, not him. No, not him. I reject him. And Samuel's like, what the heck? Like, we went through all seven. And you rejected all of them, okay? So, so, then he, so, so Samuel's kind of perplexed. And he's like, do you have any other sons? <laughs> like, God hasn't chosen any of these ones. Now, this is, this is quite uh, interesting if you actually think about it. Apparently, David was so unlikely, like his dad thought so little of him that he didn't even bother inviting him to be there. You know, you think of it, David's out tending the sheep. Samuel, like the most famous prophet of all time, really at that time, comes to your house and David doesn't even get the memo. He, so he's like, like, think of how offended you'd be if you're David. It's like, your dad, like, man... He probably needed some inner healing, you know? But he actually had a revelation of the father's heart that none, so he got that from his dad, but any, from his real father. But anyway, he's, there's still the youngest Jesse answered. He's out tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down till he arrives. Fast forward to verse 13. So then he gets there, and the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. The youngest, the shortest, the one who's tending sheep, who wasn't even invited. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. The spirit of the Lord. Now that gets us to our first key. I'm, I'm talking about three keys today. There's more than this. Talking about keys, what makes David a man after God's own heart? The first, and I'm calling them the key of David. For those of you who know Isaiah 22, 22, the key of David. But anyway, the key of David, number one, his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you weren't here last week, I talked all about this last week. Um, and if you, if you weren't here, you can get our messages uh, on Facebook or email us at ottawa.cashthefire.com. Or we put them in our newsletters every week. But anyway, his relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want, I want to just emphasize a few now, David was a worshiper. We're going to talk about that later. But, I mean, his songs are canonized scripture, right? And so you can learn a lot about the heart of David just from reading his songs. What was on this guy's heart? Because really, when you write a song or poetry, that's what you're feeling, right? So you can get a lot of insight in, in Dave, the movement of David's hearts through his songs. Now, I love Psalm 51. 
For those of you who don't know, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about this, but uh, I'm just giving you two scriptures from it. But the whole psalm is David's repentance after he got royally rebuked from Nathan the prophet for committing adultery and murder. Now, that's one key of David. I'm not talking about this today, but his heart of repentance is phenomenal. And this whole psalm is him just repenting and pouring out his heart. I actually highly recommend this song. If you need to repent of something, it's a good template. Just use that as a template to repent. But anyway, look at this. Create in me a pure heart. We're talking about the heart of David. So David's like, hey, create in me a pure heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Look at this. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The point I want to make with this, this is David's repentance. And what was his major concern in this? Right? This shows how much he valued his relationship with the Holy Spirit because this was his biggest concern. Please, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I know I blew it. But that's how concerned he was that it would disrupt his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that says a lot, doesn't it? It says that he really valued that. And his biggest concern, I don't want to grieve your Holy Spirit. Don't take him from me. Now, I'm, here's another. I'm just going to give you a couple psalms to show you this. Psalm 139. This whole psalm is amazing, by the way. I love this psalm. It, it's really a song of intimacy about God knowing our every move. And look at what he says. This is Psalm 139, 5 to 10. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And we're going to see later that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. He's talking about his Holy Spirit. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the seed, even there, your hand will guide me. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Your right hand will hold me fast. And, and if you were here last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit, how he's the spirit of truth and that he leads us into all truth and that he guides us into all truth. And so David here is just showing like, hey, he's, he's expressing how he's always in the presence of the Holy Spirit. No matter where he goes, he's, the Holy Spirit's fellowship is always with him. Psalm 143, 8 to 10. This is another one. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Let the morning bring word from your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about, now notice here, teach me to do your will. May your spirit lead me. If you were here last week, we talked about how to hear God's voice and be led by the spirit, and we learned that it's by the spirit that we actually come to know God's will. It's by his spirit. And I'm just going to show you this one verse quickly. This is from the apostolic prayer, Colossians 1 uh, 9 through 14. But remember that it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the knowledge of his will. This is, if you look, there's a lot of parallels between that psalm we just read and this prayer of Paul. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Right? That was David's heart's cry. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So it's all about relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's how we come to know God's will. And that's how we fulfill God's will 
in our lives. Now, I'm going to fast forward. This is at the end of 2 Samuel. Last week, we talked about the last words of Jesus Christ before he was crucified. And if you remember, we talked about John 16, emphasizing what were Jesus' last words at the Last Supper to his disciples. And it was this, most, uh, almost at the end of his last words. It's, good, it's better for you that I go so that the spirit of truth will come and lead you into all truth. And he says, the spirit of truth will come and tell you things that you know not of, things that he'll take from me and make them known to you. Look at David's last words. Okay, this is on his deathbed. These are the last words of David. This is 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of a man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. That's David's last words, the assessment of his life. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? He had such a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's like, this is what characterized my life. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. How many of you would want to be able to say that at the end of your life? That your words, right, were the Holy Spirit's words. Now look at this. This is how... The New Testament apostles knew David too. This is what he was known for, that the Spirit spoke through him. This is Acts 1, 15 through 16. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. Jesus has a similar assessment. This is Mark 12, 35 to 36. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, and then he quotes one of his psalms. Sometimes we read this and we don't think about the implications, but the point is David was known as a man who had such a relation with the Holy Spirit that his very words were considered the words of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Now, we're supposed to... Oh, here's another one. Acts 4.23. I'll just read it. Verse 25. This is Peter and John speaking. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then he quotes Psalm 2. Now, this is interesting. I'll quote this. This is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage against the peoples uh, applaud in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers bond together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Remember last week, we ta- in the last couple of weeks actually, we talked about Jesus Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word for the same. It means the anointed one. And what does that mean? Anointed with what? The Holy Spirit. So that's what the Messiah was known for. That's what Jesus was known for. This is the first reference in the Bible to the Messiah being called the Anointed One, from David. So David's saying, the Messiah is going to be the Anointed One, anointed with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's going to be known for, just like his father David. Just like his father David. Now, that's what we're supposed to be known for. We're talking about speaking, that our words would be known, that our words would be the Holy Spirit speaking through us. I'm just going to show you one scripture. This is Matthew 10, 18 through 20. Okay, this is how we as believers are supposed to be. Remember, we're Christians, Christ, anointed ones, little anointed ones. We're supposed to be known for this too. On my account, this is Jesus talking, will be brought before governors, or you will be, and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, 
Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it'll not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So we're actually supposed to be known for this, that, that as we speak to people, as we witness about the Lord, that the spirit of the father is actually speaking through us. And if you know Acts chapter 2, when the birth of the church came and Peter started preaching, this is what's happening, this is the fulfillment of Joel, the prophet, that I'll pour out my spirit in the last days upon all flesh and my sons and daughters will prophesy, right? Young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. In other words, all of us as believers, as Christians, are supposed to be having the spirit of the Lord prophesying through us, that we're supposed to be speaking the words of God through the Holy Spirit. It all comes from intimacy with the Holy Spirit, by the way. That's where, it, that's where it comes from. That's how, how we come to know him so that we know his thoughts, we know his words, and that they would speak through us, that he would. So the application, now we're talking about the keys of David, his relationship with the Holy Spirit. The application for us, talking about intimacy with God, is we need to develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we talked a lot about that last week, but that is a really huge key. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit, the tangible presence of God, God here on earth with us through Christ, that we experience the Father heart of God. Romans 5.5, 5, right? That he shed his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he's given to us. Now, I talked about this last week, but this is just showing how important it is that we develop that. Now, if you notice, I mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. If any, if I had to pick one verse that would describe our faith, I mean just one. If I was forced to, this would probably be it. Okay, because this talks about every single ministry that each member of the Trinity emphasizes or is focused on. So everything, the predicate of everything in our faith is the love of God. Okay. He loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us that whoever believes in him will be saved by grace. And then once we're saved, we have the fellowship or communion with the Holy Spirit. That's a reality. So that's Paul's prayer. This is the very last verse in 2 Corinthians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's, that's what I'm talking about, fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. You know, a really good book on this, I would recommend it, is Benny Hinn's book from like 25 years ago called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Uh, how many of you read that book? Oh, okay, most of us anyway. If you haven't, I've, I, that's one of those books I'd recommend to all believers, especially if you're new in the faith, talking about an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's not an it, he, he's a person, and you can have a sweet, sweet fellowship with him. Now, just to remind you, or if you're new here, this is an imperative. This is how we're supposed to live as New Covenant believers, okay? This is from Galatians 5, verse 16, 18, and 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see that? We're supposed to live by the Spirit. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. We're supposed to keep in step with the Spirit. And what I mentioned last week, this is how Jesus lived. He was conceived by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. He did ministry by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He spoke by the Spirit. 
And he was raised by the Spirit. And I have all the scriptural references for all those. The first thing Jesus did when he was anointed, when he, the, he got the Holy Spirit rest upon him, after he was baptized in the River Jordan, it says he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He's our example of how we're supposed to live. We're all supposed to be led by the Spirit. Look, Romans 8.14 says the same thing. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So that's what makes us children of God. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. And the only way we can do that is by knowing him intimately. He creates the character of Christ in us. He conforms us to the image of Christ. We talked about last week from 2 Corinthians 3.18. That we're changed into his image from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, and then it says, who is the Spirit? It's the Spirit who changes us into the image of Christ. Now, without being too redundant, or if you're new here, I just, I'll just say, you can listen. We talked all about that last week, how to hear God's voice, be led by the Spirit. So if you want, I, I, can send, these, I send these notes at our newsletter and stuff or on Facebook. I just wanted to emphasize that because I want to go into new things this week, but how to hear God's voice, be led by the Spirit, are on these notes if you want to hear that. Now, key number two, that was key number one, is relationship with the Holy Spirit. David highly valued that so much. The second key, talking about how to be a person after God's own heart, is he inquired of the Lord all the time. Okay, this is a characteristic that David had. You read the life of David over and over and over and over again. When he was making decisions, it said he inquired of the Lord. Going back to 1 Samuel, we're talking about the narrative of David now to show you this. So this is from Samuel 13. This is where Saul went wrong. King Saul. Okay? He disobeyed God. And this is the first major time he disobeyed him. This is 1 Samuel 13. What happened is um, the Philistines were coming and attacking them. And he was waiting for Samuel to come make the offering. And he buckled under the pressure because there's this huge army coming after him. And his, his ar- army was scattering. So he freaked out and he did the offering. And then Samuel came and this is what happens. He's like, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and you didn't come at the set time. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. He did it out of his own flesh. I felt compelled, right? And I did this. Look at the consequences of that disobedience. It's, it's phenomenal. That he made a sacrifice an hour too soon, and this is what happened. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God and gave, God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Isn't that crazy? In other words, Jesus would have been known as the son of Saul, not the son of David. But because you disobeyed the the command of the Lord, you, you blew it. And this is what happened. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, talking about David, and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Okay? Now, this is serious stuff. I'm just going to show you this. This is the Old Testament. This isn't just a New Testament imperative that we be led by the Spirit. This is the Old Testament. This is from Isaiah 31 to 2. Talking about the importance of inquiring of the Lord. Okay? So, and be led by the Spirit. 
Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that aren't mine. Okay? Forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. How many, like, it's just common in our culture just to make plans without inquiring of the Lord, right? Like, let's just, this is a good idea. Let's just do this. I'm sure God would like that. Right? I mean, we're all probably guilty of that. We talked about that last week a little bit. How the early church so valued the Holy Spirit that when they were making a decision about circumcision, the apostles came together and then they wrote a letter to the Gentiles. This is Acts 15 saying, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to put these burdens on you. That's how integral it was. We talked all about how they were led by the Spirit in the book of Acts all throughout the book of Acts, okay? And that's how we're supposed to live. This is, even in the Old Testament, that's how they're supposed to live. So then he says, heaping sin upon sin. Who will go down to Egypt without consulting me? Talking about inquiring of the Lord. Who look up for, to help, for, uh, uh, for help to Pharaoh's protection to Egypt's shade for refuge? Now, with that being said, you see why Saul, how he went wrong. He didn't inquire of the Lord He did it because I felt compelled to. David did something because the Lord told him to, because he always inquired of the Lord. Now we're going back. Look at Acts 13. Now in light of that, I want to reread the scripture. Look at what it says. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. The New King James Version says, who will do do all of my will. That's what made him a man after God's own heart, that he would do the full will of God. The only way you can do the full will of God is to know the will of God, which is to inquire of him, what do you want me to do in this specific situation? Especially if there's not a scripture to tell you what to do, like, do I take this job or that job? Rather than doing it based off logic, why not inquire of the Lord? Because often he'll tell you to do things that don't make sense, right? The point is, in order to do his will and everything he wants you to do, you actually have to humble yourself and inquire of him. What do you want me to do, Lord? Right? So David's called a man after his heart because he inquired of the Lord all the time. He sought God's heart and conformed to his will, according to the scripture. Now, I'm, I'm just going to read you this passage, right, from the narrative of the life of David. But then I'm going to just skim over the rest. But I want to show you. How much David inquired of the Lord, even for decisions that were pretty obvious what you should do. He wasn't presumptuous. He would still inquire of the Lord. Okay, so this is from 1 Samuel 23, 1 to 5. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against um, Keilah and uh, are looting the threshing floor, he inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah, we're afraid. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? So his men didn't want to go. He's like, no, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? We're afraid. We don't want to go and get more trouble. So then David's like, okay, my army's not with me. I'll go inquire of the Lord again to be sure. So once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah, for I'm going to give you the Philistines into your hand. So then David obeyed, and he went and defeated them all. Right? Even when it didn't make sense. Like, okay, we're afraid. My army doesn't want to go. They might beat us because there's only 600 of us. But the Lord's like, no, go. And David obeyed. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. His obedience. And when he messed up, his extravagant repentance. Right? In Psalm 51. 
So I'm going to zip through these just to read the highlighted parts, but I have them on here so if you get the notes, you can read them for yourself how much David did this. Okay? 1 Samuel 23, right here, the highlighted stuff, it just says the same thing. David asked the Lord, what should I do? David inquired the Lord, and the Lord would tell him and he would do it. 1 Samuel 30, 7 and 8. This is a crazy one. An army came, a Philistine army came, and took captive his whole entire army's families, their wives, their children, and looted their whole camp. So they were out, and then they come back, and everyone's gone, and their whole camp's devastated. And his men were like so devastated, they're weeping till they couldn't weep anymore, and they wanted to kill David. Now, this is one of the ones where most people wouldn't ask the Lord. They would just say, be presumptuous, say, okay, let's go get our wives and children back, right? I mean, you, it seems like a no-brainer, but David was never presumptuous. Even though that seems like, hey, that makes the most sense. Look, verse 8, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding army? Will I overtake them? And the Lord said, pursue them. And you'll certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So he did. That is such an important part of his heart that we need to grasp and, and imitate, imitate. That we would inquire of the Lord even when it seems like the answer is obvious. Not to be presumptuous. And then I'll just speed past these. 2 Samuel 2.1, David inquired of the Lord. And he asked him, where, basically, where should I live? And the Lord told him, go to Hebron. So asking the Lord, where should I live? Where should I move? 2 Samuel 5.17, I'll just, verse 19, David inquired of the Lord. 2 Samuel 5.23, David inquired of the Lord. <laughs> 2 Samuel 2.1, uh, 21.1, David sought the face of the Lord. You see what, how David lived, right? He lived his life. Inquiring of the Lord and obeying whatever the Lord told him to do. And that's why God said he's a man after my own heart because he'll do everything I want him to do. And that's our application, right, for the second key. We should always inquire of the Lord when making decisions, especially important decisions, but why not every decision? Because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and I talked all about this last week, that the Holy Spirit renews our mind. He gives us the will of God. He leads us into all truth. Right? And so because we have that relationship and it boils down to intimacy with the Holy Spirit, if we simply just ask him, Holy Spirit, do you want me to go to this thing tonight? Or whatever. He'll tell you. Right? He wants that fellowship. He wants that relationship. The problem is most of the time we don't even ask because we're presumptuous. Well, I'll just go. It makes sense. No. What is he telling you to do? Now, I love this verse. This is actually one of the verses that really, I had a, anyway, it's a whole long story. Prophetic word. This is the word of the Lord for me back in 2005. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. Not in some things, right? Other versions say acknowledge him in all of your ways and what? He will show you which path to take. It's a promise. But all you got to do is seek him. Right? If we seek him, we'll find. So we have to actually ask. Okay? We have to actually inquire. And he promises the Lord will teach you and tell you where to go. Now, this is just how do you know the will of God? Talked about this last time. Get to know the Holy Spirit. It's all about intimacy. It's the Holy Spirit. He renews your mind, leads you into all truth. He reveals the will of God to you. Right? He's a spirit of truth. He takes all that belongs to Jesus and makes it known to us. Now, 
on that note, I want to show you, we talked to earlier, now, David's songs are canonized forever, right? Like, and, and, and his songs show what was on his heart. It shows the movements of his heart and what made him a man after God's own heart. Look at how many times, and I'm not going to go over all of them because there's too many, but I just want to show you an example. How many times he prayed in his songs for guidance, okay? So he constantly, so in the, and we saw in Samuel, he inquired of the Lord. In his songs, he constantly, Lord, lead me, guide me, over and over. This isn't just one time. It's like throughout the Psalms, you see his constant prayer was, God, lead me and guide me. And this shows that David had a genuine heart after God's, right? Because to, to be a man after someone's heart, you got to know. You want to know what is on that person's heart. And how are you going to know unless you ask, right? How are you going to know what God wants you to do or what his heart is for a situation unless you inquire? And that's how what we should do. We should be praying for guidance. So these are just a couple, I mean, there's more than this. But Psalm 5.8, lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Psalm 25, 4, 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. And teach me, for you are a God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Psalm 27, 11. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. Psalm 31, 3. Since you're my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Right? This is his constant heart cry for the Lord to the Lord. Lead me, guide me. Now, if you recognize this language, that is what the Holy Spirit does. He leads us into all truth. He guides us into all truth, right? He's our comforter. He's the one who, as we develop that relationship, this is how we live. And all we need to do is ask him, right? Ask him to lead us and guide us. Psalm 23, we all know this is a famous psalm, but if you think about it, this is what he's saying. The Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The whole thing is about God shepherding and leading him, right? He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So you see that this is David constantly in his songs. God, lead me, guide me in all truth. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. Now, the third key is the last one I want to talk about. Now, there's more than three, but these are the three that I felt to share because I think these are three major keys that made David a man after God's own heart that we can learn from and implement in our own lives. He was an extravagant worshiper. I mean, come on. 150 psalms, like half of them at least, are David's songs that are canonized scripture forever because he was such an extravagant worshiper and the Lord so loved his songs. That's what he's known for as the psalmist. What I want to point out is that David, if you think about it, David was a teenager, okay? Some say 15, some say 17. He was too young to join the army. That's where people get, okay? So if you know the story, he was too, so he had to have been about 15 years old, right? A shepherd boy worshiping the Lord in the back hills of Bethlehem. No one knows him. That's like in the back country, right? What was he doing? Worshiping the Lord. And that, when he was 15 years old, is when the Lord noticed him. That's when he said, I found someone better than you to Saul, and I'm going to anoint him king, a man after my own heart. Because he was there by himself worshiping the Lord, right? 
So, it is this heart of worship that made him noticed by the Lord. And that gave him that intimacy with the Lord. Now, we talked about where, if you remember where we started in 1 Samuel 13, it says, the Holy Spirit came powerfully upon David. And that was my first point. His relationship with the Holy Spirit was one of the keys to intimacy with the Lord. This is the very next verse. Verse 14, look at what happened to Saul. It says, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Isn't that intense? That gives us a little glimpse why David probably prayed in Psalm 51, don't let your Holy Spirit depart from me, because he saw how devastating that was when that happened to Saul, right? So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the servants, look at this, this is so wild if you think about it, answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. This young 15-year-old playing guitar in the back hills of Bethlehem, somehow one of the palace servants has heard of him because his worship was so anointed. And he's like, the Lord is on this guy. He plays really well. Why don't we get him? So they go and get him from tending sheep. And look at this, verse 23. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, the evil spirit who tormented him, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? David's worship was so anointed that he would play and demons would flee. It was so powerful that people throughout Israel knew of the shepherd boy David because of his anointed worship. And that's what got him noticed. That's what promoted him to the palace and where his ministry really started because of his worship, because of how he played songs before the Lord. Now, our application, extravagant worship is a key, a major, major key to intimacy, major key. And I'm going to show you this in the New Testament. This isn't an old covenant thing. Look at what Paul says about this. This is really interesting, and I want to just hit on this for a minute. This is from Ephesians 5. I'm going to start in verse 15, but through 20. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We're talking about the will of the Lord, right? What's, okay, well, what is the will of the Lord? He tells us, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's what the Lord's will is. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is an interesting connection I want to make that you may not have thought of. Paul didn't stop there. How do you be filled with the Spirit? This is the answer. Speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the Spirit. That's how you be filled with the Spirit. Notice Psalms. (laughs) Think about what David's Psalms are so anointed that he's saying if you speak to one another with these, you're going to be filled with the Spirit still. Hymns and songs from the Spirit, spontaneous songs that the Holy Spirit gives to you. That's how you be filled with the Spirit. Always get or sing and make music from your heart. To the Lord. We're talking about matters of the heart, right? God looks at the heart. And so he's saying, in order to be filled with the Spirit continually, you need to sing songs 
Whether there's psalms, hymns, or songs from the Spirit, from your heart to God, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. That's what his will is. Talking about relationship with the Spirit. Talking about intimacy, right? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one thing I wanted to emphasize in that verse is the Greek verb to be filled with the Spirit is a present imperative. And I want to just give you some examples of what that means. This is how, for all intents and purposes, we could interpret that verse. Okay? Be filled with the Spirit as a pattern of life. Continually. Not a one-time thing. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. If you were filled with the Spirit at one time in the past, you need to be refilled again today. Right? A lot of people get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues like 40 years ago, and they're like, ah, I've been there, done that. This is a present, continual thing that we're supposed to constantly be doing. This isn't the only verse that says that. Galatians 3.5 is the same thing, a fresh supply of the Spirit. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how in Acts chapter 2, we all know they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 4, they pray for more boldness. Then it says the house is shook and they're filled with the Spirit again. The same people who are on the day of Pentecost. In other words, it's not a one-time thing. It's a constant thing. And that's why relationship with the Holy Spirit is so crucial for all of this. Now, that's also not a one-time verse. I want you to think this is really interesting. So it says speaking to one another in the last verse. This is from Colossians, okay? Look at, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be singing to you right now, according to this verse. I'm supposed to be teaching and admonishing you with all wisdom through songs. That's what it's saying, right? Isn't that interesting? How many churches have you been to where they do that? Now, I believe the reason God anoints worship and the contemporary worship movement is powerful because you're actually teaching about God's characteristics, right? So that's what that's talking about a little bit. But anyway, uh, singing God with gratitude again in your hearts. You see how crucial worship is and the connection with intimacy with God. Now, in terms of worship, I'm going to just end on this. Uh, this, I love this verse because it gives us, Paul the Apostle is kind of mysterious in a lot of ways. And he doesn't talk about himself very much. You know, sometimes he does. What I love about 1 Corinthians 14, Paul actually talks about his devotional life. He actually gives us a glimpse into how, what he does in his devotion to the Lord. How he prays and, and sings. Okay, so this is 1 Corinthians 14, 14 to 18. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Look at this. This is verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> That's pretty audacious, isn't it? Paul says to this church, his Corinthians, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's like, how do you know that, Paul? I guess he just knew. He's like, hey, there's no way you could be speaking as much as I do because I speak a lot in tongues. <laughs> 
But that's his devotional life. We're talking about extravagant worship and intimacy, praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, worshiping the Lord in your devotional life through the Spirit, right? That's how Paul, now, Paul's worship was powerful. Acts 16, he gets, him and Silas get beaten severely, it says. They get severely beaten and flogged, thrown into prison, okay? I couldn't even imagine what the prisons were like back then. And then around midnight, you know what it says they're doing? They're praising and worshiping the Lord. I mean, I couldn't even imagine how much pain they're in. So they're just, and it says everyone's listening. And then an earthquake comes. And <laughs> the prisons break open because they're worshiping. Like it's, it's like God's like, oh, I got to get them out of there because they're so awesome. They're worshiping in this trial. And you know what happens? The guard was going to kill himself. And Paul's like, no, 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 don't do that. And the guy's like, what must I do to be saved? And then the, his whole household gets saved because they, they worship the Lord and the Lord came in power like that. That's how powerful that is. Extravagant worship. All right. So what should we do in light of all this? Remember, we're talking about intimacy with God. Intimacy God, with God through key, looking at the life of David who was known forever as the man after God's own heart. Okay, what should we do? Three keys. Intimacy is developed through fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Valuing that relationship, developing that relationship like David did. Inquiring of the Lord when making decisions and actually following through with his will like David did. And making it your life aim to be an extravagant worshiper. Right? Because as you worship the Lord, the Holy Spirit fills you and it says that's how you're supposed to live. Be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Major key to intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now on that note, if you weren't here last week, or if you were and you didn't get one of these, I made a, uh, I've been making sheets of scriptures. Uh, I did for healing. I did for uh, uh, spiritual warfare when the enemy attacks, like the apostolic prayers, and hearing God's voice. I wrote these in first-person prayers, just some of them. I mean, there's a lot more. As you, I don't have even a lot of those I had from David praying for being led and guided. But I wanted, uh, because I, we ran out last week, um, if you were here and you didn't get one, or if you weren't here and you want one, uh, I wanted to hand these out to you. Okay, so if, is there anyone who could pass these out? So if you want one, just put up your hand, and, uh, and these are just prayers. So, and also, if you were want, want other things that I gave out in the past, like I said, healing and that sort of thing, just email ottawa.catchthefire.com. I'll send them to you so you have a uh, uh, digital format of it, okay? But on, the, on this note of intimacy, why don't we, why don't we seek the Lord, <laughs> If you would like, what I'm going to do is, remember we talked about singing songs and de developing that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Is today's activation, if you would like to, what I'm going to do is just put on a soaking song. And let's just soak and, and, and develop that sensitivity of the Spirit. I'm going to pray over us. And if you would like to stay for this. Now, if you have to go, that totally bless you to go. That's awesome. But if you'd like to stay and just, I guess, corporately 
seek the Lord in that way, just soaking and, and asking him to lead and guide. And, and you can use these scriptures. Now, these scriptures, by the way, I didn't explain it really, is how just scriptures relevant to hearing God's voice, relevant to guidance from the Holy Spirit. And so you'll notice I put them in first-person prayer so that as you're seeking the Lord, if it's for a decision, or just to hear the Lord's voice more clearly, these are good prayers you could pray. Um, and so, you know, like I said, probably one of the most number one prayer requests I get is what's God's will for my life? Why not pray this regularly until you hear his voice more and more clearly, constantly? But anyway, on that note, I'm just going to pray for us. If you have to go, God bless you. Um, if you're a first-time visitor, like I said, you can fill out a Connect card, at the, and Brian will give you a gift at the back. Otherwise, we also have hospitality, food, snacks, coffee in the hall, just to your left if you go in the hall for fellowship. We'd love to have you guys hang out and get to know each other and stuff. But on that note, I'm just going to pray over us. And feel free to stay and soak if you'd like. So, Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. We thank you so much, whoa, for your faithfulness, Lord. And, God, I thank you that you are a personal God who loves us so much. And that you're always with us, that you lead and guide us into all truth. And just like David, and just like your son, Jesus, and just like Paul and the other apostles who live their lives constantly being led by your spirit, we just ask for that fresh infilling of your spirit, Lord, that you would teach us how to be led by you, that we would live our lives by the spirit, and that we would be so in tune with your spirit that we would even, as we speak, that we would be known as people whose words were the very words of God through the spirit, that it would be not us speaking, but your spirit speaking through us. And so, Lord, that's our heart's cry, that you would just be with us, that as the, in this new season, that we would develop that deep intimacy with your spirit, and that we'd be completely led and guided and obedient so that every single one of us would be known as men and women after your own heart when we meet you face to face. So I just bless every single person here, God. I bless them to hear your voice more clearly and to know you more intimately. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we just bless you to stay in sober, to go.